The Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Hello and welcome to the Magic Book Club podcast where we chat to your favourite authors and get behind what really makes them put pen to paper or fingers to laptop. We'll find out more about that in a sec. This week we're joined by Owen Colfer, legendary Irish author. He worked as a primary school teacher before gaining worldwide recognition in 2001 when Artemis Fowl was published and became a New York Times bestseller. Many books later, Owen is back with his first ever novel for adults only. So if you are a child and you are about to read this book, just Wait a second, okay? It's not for kids. This is definitely for adults. Um, It's about a dragon called Vern, the last dragon on Earth. Vern has settled into life on the Bayou of Louisiana, drinking vodka, watching Netflix, loving James Corden as well, Owen. He likes likes his James Corden, doesn't he? He does. He likes a bit of James. (laughs) Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Exactly. He's everywhere. He's He's everywhere. Um, Until a canny Cajun rat and a dirty cop get in his way. Um, It is a wild ride. Uh, Owen, welcome to the Magic Book Club. And Hi-Fi, I, I love it. I well, loved this book. Oh, you're very kind. You, you, that, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're fine. You're fine. You're good to go. It was, it was worth it. It was oh, worth yeah, it. it was worth it. Yeah. Um, how is this moment right now when, when yeah. the book is about to land? And especially for you, because you've done loads of yeah. kids' books. How does it feel? It's unusual because I've done so many kids' books that they don't really get, it, you know, they're not really launched as such. It's just in, that, in the series. So when you move to uh, the adult uh, market, it's like I'm starting again. So it's very nerve-wracking mm. um, because there is a little bit of... Um, people don't think you can make that jump. You know, they're kind of a little bit sceptical. Uh, so what did like your editor say and your publisher say when you were like, right, we're going to do an adult book yeah. with all the filthy words? Yeah, well, it was funny because I said, I'm moving on from childish subjects like leprechauns. And they said, well, what do you want to do? Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing up. I'm growing up now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was strange. But they, they're, uh, my editor uh, or my agent is used to me skipping around. So uh, she, she's happy to whatever I bring in as long as the quality is good. Mm. You know, so um, she was she's very happy with this. And uh, we got a great publisher over here. So I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm very happy because everyone I meet seems to be happy. Yeah. But I am in a bubble in that they don't tell me, you know, there's just been an effigy of you burned in Trafalgar Square. They don't tell me that kind of thing. Oh, do you know her, but you don't know about the effigy? I, well, oh, we're not telling you about the effigy. Uh, yeah, Fine, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. That was you, I reckon. As long as if there was an effigy of Neil Gaiman burnt as well, then I would be fine with that because yeah, yeah. I'm in good company. And as long as it was burnt by someone dressed as a dragon, do you know, that would be almost yeah, a sort of tribute effigy then. Be. I've had that. I had a guy who was an actor once who said um, he... Got my email. I kept some emails saying, "You have found out our secret, the fairy people. We, you will be punished." And uh, I will see you in New York. And he arrived in New York with a hood, and security took him out. And he, he said, "No, no, I'm a, an actor. I heard they're making a movie, and this is my. It's a roundabout way of auditioning. It's like no, weird, the weirdest thing." That's amazing. Yeah, he said, I understand if you don't want to talk to me. I said, "I'm glad you understand." Because I'm not going to talk. He went ultra method. Yeah, ultra method. He was going to be like an avenging fairy. Okay, I'm going to put my dragon costume on now because I think I'd make a great <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um So uh, let's just dial back a bit, Owen. Yeah. So you worked as a primary school teacher yeah. um, when you were um, first starting out. Did your um, love of writing start before this or was it working with the kids that inspired you? How did it work? I did. I always loved writing. Um, I started to write stories, and this is a strange statement, but before I could write, so I would just do squiggles on a chalkboard <laughs> and pretend I was writing and actually think I was writing. So I thought I was writing. And my mother would come down and say, what are you doing there? And I'd say, I'm writing a story. And she said, well, what's the story about, darling? I said, well, read it. If you want to know, it's right there. 
Uh, am I wasting my time here? So um, <laughs> Your poor mother. Uh, yeah, Your yeah. poor mother having to go, darling, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I learned to read, and I think this is a, a beautiful story. Um, my mum was an actress, is an actress, and I learned to read at age four doing her lines with her. And if there's a better way to learn how to read, I don't know what it is. Wow. So she would do her part and I would do all the other parts. Really? And that is what a way to learn to read. And and it, the, the you just want to spend time with your mum so you will learn that script and yeah. you will learn how to read. Yeah. Wildly inappropriate, I'm sure, for That's a four-year-old. Ama- but these days for, for actors, and I have I am one, I have done quite a lot of acting, uh, you do lots of auditions, uh, self-tape auditions yeah. with people off yeah. camera. So, you know, you could get, it just occurred to me, I could get my child <laughs> yeah. to do the reading off camera bit. Fantastic, yeah. Did this ever make you want to be an actor then? Or does this, does this bring out the <laughs> yeah. performance in no, you? No, it did. Uh, and I was in a couple of amateur shows and I wanted to be an actor and I was with my best mate, whose name was Declan, is Declan. So we did a, pl- a play, A View from a Bridge, maybe you know that one. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, my now wife came in and she, the two of us were standing beside each other and she turned very obviously away from me and said to Declan, your accent was amazing. And that was the end. <laughs> that was the end. And she just looked at and you. It, you know, uh, that was the end of that conversation and I realised maybe acting is not for me. Oh, man. So I quit. I, d- I did a, um, I was in a sketch show years ago and I had to do a northern accent in it. And I, my lines were, Mum, Dad! <laughs> and my wife is from the north and I just tried to get her to teach me how to do it and I couldn't do it. And to this day, yeah. whenever we hear someone speak northern, my wife just turns to me and goes, Mum, Dad! Oh, lovely. Openly mocking. Oh, yeah. Never, never do an accent on camera, that's mine. That's why we're still together because, you know, yes. we're virtually... We're she, she told you the truth. <laughs> she told me the truth. Exactly. Or she um, just didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the truth comes in silence. Uh, yeah. Um, so Artemis Fowl, I mean, that is... Yeah. It's done all right, isn't it? It's it's done all right. It was a great. It's great for me now because it has given me the the buffer zone I need to do little projects in theater. Mm. I mean, for example, uh, last year I did a theater show in a seventy seater theater with a puppet turkey. So Amazing. it's great. I say to my kids, "I'm doing theater," and they go, "Great, loads of money." <laughs> Sarcastically, obviously. <laughs> so, but I can do that, and that could take six months. Yeah, but I just love doing it, and I want to do it. Where do you do that theater? Where, where? I do it in Dublin. Uh, I've got a few plays out. I have a I have a play called Holy Mary, which is coming out in the Gaiety, which is a very big deal for me in, in Dublin, so in May. So I'm looking forward to that. And that keeps you sort of a creatively fertile yeah. doing all that stuff, isn't it? That is exactly right. Uh, if you're Most of the time, I'm in a little office on my own, maybe nine months of the year. And you, if you're not interested in there, mm. uh, if, you're not, if you're not engaged, then the work won't be good. Now, I'm, I know I'm amazingly lucky and fortunate, first of all, to have an office, Secondly, to be a professional writer and to have that buffer zone. But uh, now that I have it, I want to use it to make the most creative stuff that I can do. So how did that moment happen? How? What sparked the flame? Superb pun from me there. Superb. Absolutely loved that. <laughs> Mom, Dad! Mom, Dad! <laughs> God, don't you start as well. What, what was that? that uh, when did the dragon pop into your head? Were you watching a show? Were you yeah. sitting in the office by yourself trying to entertain yourself? What was it? Well, I've always wanted to explore as many genres as possible. <laughs> Um, sitting in a what entertaining myself that just occurred to me well I mean it's funny that is the kind of filth that we can enjoy in high fire but uh, no I was sitting uh, I was entertaining myself thinking about a dragon I wanted to do a dragon story and I wanted the dragon to be different Uh, and the dragons we're used to are very noble or destructive creatures sometimes they can talk but they, they often sound like Benedict Cumberbatch you know wonderful and I thought, I don't want my dragon to be like that. What's the, because that's so brilliant. 
I can't do anything that compares to that. We need dragon bathos. <laughs> we need to go low <laughs> yeah. dragon. Low dragon. So I took the low road there, very low. And uh, so my dragon is more like uh, maybe Homer Simpson, you know, that kind of dragon or trailer park boy dragon. Yeah. So he's just uh, living out off the grid in the bayou, hanging out with the alligators, drinking vodka martinis, watching Flashdance or Glee, I think he also likes. <laughs> That's, he's, he's not happy but he's alive. He's contented yeah. at the moment. Yeah. But then he, and for hundreds of years he's been out there, but then he runs into this little Cajun uh, 15-year-old called Squib Moreau, who initially he tries to kill, but then, uh, as often happens after attempted murder, he bond, and uh, they become friends. And that means Squib, or uh, Fern is tempted out of his hidey hole and he mm. has to go and save Squid. So that's how the adventure starts. And what an adventure it is. I, I love um, what I love I love a lot about Vern. What I particularly love is uh, it's amazing how you've made me connect with the dragon, first yeah, of all. Yeah. I think I think that need was in you. I've never known. And I just brought it out. <laughs> I mean I'm Welsh, but I've never, I've never discovered my inner dragon in that way. But what I mean is what I love about Vern is he's he's misanthropic. He wants to be left alone. And maybe it's just because I've got two young, very annoying children. But I just that thing where he's sitting there and he just wants to watch his Netflix and he wants to have his yeah. drinks, whatever they may be. And do you know what I mean? I feel I feel yeah. like that. A lot of people feel like that these days, that they just, I've got all this entertainment on yeah. cable. Yeah. Can everyone else just park it yeah. and just go away I do not need human contact anymore. Yeah. I have Netflix. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think when you have kids, and I have some bad news for you, because I have two older kids, Ugh. and they are still annoying. Oh, so no. it's not, it doesn't God. get any better. Oh. They can just leave a wider ring of destruction as they get older. <laughs> they can, they can you know, mess up other countries. So it's, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I think it's like an extension of the man cave phenomenon or just the cave cave, whatever. Mm. Uh, you just want that. You need in this modern life to carve out a tiny space for yourself. And Vern has managed to do that yeah. uh, in an exaggerated fashion. I mean, I go down to my office uh, and I have, there's a big orange key ring on the key. And when that, people can see that key ring from the house and they just don't come out because they know I'm working out there. Oh, really? I say working, but there is a sofa. <laughs> so... You can guess what happens around 2.30, slump time. Uh, so. Nothing worse than a carb low in I the know, afternoon. Let, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Owen Colfer writing process. Yeah. So, um, you've got, so we, you've got an orange thing on your key, so as soon as people see that, they know yeah. you're in there yeah. and the writing is happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what is it like in there? Tell us what's in, in, the, in the writing den. Tell us what the man behind Vern is doing. It's brilliant. It, I, got, I wanted the, the shed uh, for a long time. Because Artemis was written in the baby's bedroom only when the baby was awake. Right. So um, I, I associate creativity with the smell of uh, talcum powder mm -hmm. and baby wipes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have to place those. No, I don't. But, uh, <laughs> but there's something about sleep deprivation that makes us more creative. It is. But I, I don't do that anymore. Um, the sleep deprivation because the boys are much older. Uh, and I'm much easier on myself now. I used to work 18 hours a day because I would be teaching and then I'd come home and then I'd need to write for six hours. Mm. Uh, but now, so it's even a teaching job, if it's six hours and then a teaching job, what's that, eight hours a day? <laughs> so, God, so you'd go and teach primary school yeah, kids? Yeah. And then you go home and write for... Well, I, as much as I could. And But I had, we had a baby then and, uh, and then later on we had another child. So it's, you just have to carve out the time it, yeah. because you said to yourself, if I don't do it, it's just not happening. It's not going to get done. Uh, and when you're younger, you have that belief in yourself. I don't think I would have that now if I was starting out. Mm. Uh, but when you're 20, 21, 22, uh, you're just like, oh, I'm the greatest. 
I am like the literary equivalent of Coldplay. I'm just going <laughs> to... Very commercial, but enjoyable too. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, But now I, I wouldn't have that, I don't think. Even now I don't have that belief in myself. Mm. But then... Uh, it's up and down though. One day you think you're the greatest writer in the world and the next day you're like, why would anyone... It's yeah. it's the worst thing, having spoken to many authors about this yeah. process, is that you have a good day and you are convinced nothing, like you say, yeah. nothing can convince you otherwise. You are Coldplay. Yeah. And you go back in the next day and you look at what you've made as Coldplay and you realise you're actually keen. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's so mean. So, so mean. Actually mean. really like keen. All you Welsh people are very... <laughs> <laughs> really like it, but it's it's the it's the having to start a new day yeah, and yeah, start no. from scratch. You've got to start from scratch. Oh, all over absolutely, again. and that happens over and over and over again. And, and pointing pointing case with this book, it started off as a kids' book. Yeah, but then Vern, my subconscious said no. Vern is drinking, swearing. It's, he's quite violent. Right. So it, I had to go back and rewrite it. There. So every book, in the middle of every book, I have a huge crisis of confidence where I'm flying along, and then just one day I go up. I said, this is not. No, this is not finished. This is not working. I don't have an ending, and I undergo that. With, I go through that every time for about a month. Every time. Got your poor wife and children. Yeah. Do you do you, do you um, how do you keep that away from them, or are you just a grouchy? Do you become Vern? I, effectively? I think because I'm generally quite grouchy, <laughs> they don't really notice the blip. So <laughs> I try. And, dad. I try just to be more grumpy when I'm out in the office, and I do try and keep it apart from uh, family life so mm. if there's anything that will cheer me up uh, it's my actually I'm going to give you some good parenting advice now please do please a mistake I made that I don't want you to make when I was when my son Finn was about seven and he's a very funny guy uh, I said to him Finn if you are ever in trouble with me and you can make me laugh you're out of that trouble <laughs> and he has taken that to extremes please like, tell me he's not a comic now <laughs> no he's not but he, I would come in and he would be punching his brother in the face I said, what's going on here? And he would moonwalk. <laughs> and while, you know, give me thumbs up. And I would invariably laugh and he would go, safe. Um, all right, let's talk about when the book is finished. So you said you had this crisis of confidence halfway through. Yeah. First of all, how do you know when it's finished? And by the way, no spoilers here. And I mentioned this in my Twitter yeah. review of your book. High Fire ends with the word. I mean, yeah. I don't even know if I want to say them on the podcast because I feel they should be saved. The best two-word ending of any book I've well, read. Thank you. I, that's that was you. Oh, thank you for that. Oh I my god! Yeah, no, uh, it's wonderful. That yeah, it is hard. That's one of the crises you have. You like, can I? Is this possible? Are we the grown people yeah. who would that can accept this as quasi literature, and you really don't know. Uh, but uh, luckily, there are people like me out there who just, the world is a terrible place at the moment. Obviously, everything in England's okay, mm. but other parts of the world are terrible. And you just come home and you want to have a laugh. Yes. And this is possibly the book for you. Yes. If, if you don't take things too seriously and you're not easily offended, this would be a good one. For you. I also think there's a beautiful element of, it's got dark humor and my humor is so dark. And also yeah. it's got gallows humor. I love all those things yeah. in it. Um, how do you know when it's finished? How do you know when you're done? How many drafts do you have to do? Um, my usual is I send it into my editor, uh, Joe, in this case, and uh, I usually it comes back with one structural edit. Like I had a whole section in this book uh, where the bad cop goes to New Orleans, uh, and that was this. Everyone said my agent editor said that's not really contributing anything. There's loads of funny jokes, but you can't if you can take it out and it doesn't change the story. You have to take it out. Mm. So that was a big chunk that went. And then there was a couple of weeks of other edits. So I send that back and then I get a copy edit. 
So I'm, if I'm lucky, I just get one major edit mm -hmm. and then I get a copy edit, which is a line by line. This yeah. word doesn't work. That's the wrong word. Who taught you to spell? <laughs> Don't you know any grammar? <laughs> I'd heard Irish people are bad at grammar, but this is ridiculous. Do that, the insults just get worse as yeah, the just, book goes on? Your yeah. copy editor losing yeah, their mind. Yeah, yeah. So, But luckily, one of the American copy editors was from Louisiana, quite close to uh, Honey, the Honey Island uh, River, or sorry, the Pearl River. So she was able to keep me honest as regards the the local lingo, and uh, so yeah, we, in the end, I think between me and her, we got it to a place where it sounds pretty, uh, pretty realistic. Yeah, definitely feels like <laughs> realistic is the word. I definitely yeah. believe there are dragons down in uh, that part of America. In fact, location's a huge part of this book, and we will get on to that. Uh, first, though, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to the Magic Book Club podcast with me, Tom Price. We're going to go behind the cover uh, and ask the important questions and talk more with Owen just after this. It's the Magic Book Club podcast now. Owen, um, it's time for Behind the Cover. Yes, you know that this? sounds uh, like, like your, I have to do something. <laughs> pop, pop your clothes on the stool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where we ask our author to read us an extract of their new book uh, that particularly resonates with them. It might yeah. be a good introduction, uh, their favourite bit of prose, or just a crackling bit of dialogue. Um, so, Owen, over to you and, and take us to the, the Bayou of Louisiana in High Fire. Uh, so we're introduced to Vern the Dragon here. And very casually, like I think I'm going to use the word dragon once. So just so people are reading it, go, oh, this guy's okay. Oh, he's a dragon. I didn't. Maybe the picture of the dragon on the cover would give you a hint. <laughs> Chapter one. Vern did not trust humans was the long and short of it. Not a single one. He had known many in his life, even liked a few, but in the end, they all sold him out to the angry mob, which is why he holed up in Honey Island Swamp out of harm's way. Vern liked the swamp, okay, as much as he liked anything after all these years. God damn, so many years just stretching out behind him like the bricks in that old road King Darius put down back in Who Gives a Shit, B.C. Funny how things came back out of the blue like that ancient Persian road. He couldn't remember last week, and now he was flashing back a couple of thousand years, give or take. Vern had baked half those bricks his own self back when he did, still did a little blue collar, nearly wore out the internal combustion album, engine, shed his skin two seasons early because of that bitch of a job. That and his diet. No one had a clue about nutrition in those days. Byrne was mostly ketogenic now, high fat, low carbs, apart from his beloved breakfast cereals. Keto made perfect sense for a dragon, especially with his core temperature. Unfortunately, it meant the beer had to go, but he got by on vodka. Absolute was his preferred brand. A little high in alcohol, but easiest on the system, and Waxman delivered it by the crate. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's all there. I mean, you've got to have a good opening yeah. to a book. I'm like, it's all packed in. It, it's When you're doing something like this where you're trying to do a different approach to a dragon, you just think, what would be the most unlikely thing for a dragon? And to be on the ketogenic diet just seems to me... <laughs> it's great. That would be nuts. <laughs> so I think when you get that little detail in the first page, you might say, oh... This is not going to be, this is not Benedict Cumberbatch. This is going to be something quite different. This is Johnny Vegas. This is Johnny Vegas. I love Johnny Vegas. <laughs> He's brilliant. He's yeah. brilliant. Um, the, the importance of place and location is, yeah. is huge in this book. Why, please? Why did you take yourself over there or take us over there? Uh, it was not my first choice. Um, I had initially, my, my theory was that if a dragon, I was stress testing the existence of a dragon. So mm -hmm. how would it actually happen if there was a dragon? And I thought if there was a dragon, he would have to be somewhere where if he was spotted, um, then no one would believe the spotter. So he could go to Loch Ness. And if someone said, yeah, I saw a monster up on Loch Ness, people would go, yeah, of course you did. That's <laughs> right. Uh, but a better fit with, for Vern being in dragon-like was in the Honey Island swamp because there is already in real life a legend of the Honey Island monster. Right. And let me tell you, 
you might be interested to know how the Honey Island Monster allegedly uh, was conceived um, without going into too much detail. Detail. This is true. Yeah. A circus train crashed into the Honey Island Swamp oh. in 1940 or something and a gorilla escaped. So they say that the gorilla took a fancy to one of the alligators. Oh, wow. And they had a little baby gorilla, <laughs> gorilla gator. So... I don't know if that's possible anatomically. I don't think so. <laughs> but so when people see Vern, they go, oh, yeah, gorilla alligator. And then they go back to the, to the local town. So I saw the monster. People go, of course you did. That is like a much better version of The Beast of Bodmin Moor. <laughs> that is yeah. fantastic. I would, I would watch that movie. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I might skip over that part. But it's, um, so I just thought people, he's going to go hide in there. And if anyone spots him, there are actually tours to try and find this monster. Okay. So well, those it, exist in real life, the tours to find Oh, the, yeah. There's oh, people wow. who have dedicated their life. Uh, it's, it's like Nessie for that, you know, or Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. There's books all about it. Mm. And that story about the circus train, that's true. Mm. Not the end bit, but the crashing bit. That, yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah, the ending's definitely true. Uh, the musicality of the speech, the, the way it sounds, it's leaping off the page. Yeah. You must have had to research that a lot. I did. Uh, and luckily, because of the Honey Island Monster, there's so much on YouTube. Uh, ah. These guys who just bring you out on their tour and they just uh, GoPro the whole thing, and you can just lift phrases from their speech patterns, and it's it's really great. And I really didn't want to go over the top a lot of the times when you watch movies about Louisiana um, by people who are not from Louisiana. It's all like everyone's a redneck, a total redneck, and that's not how it is at all. I mean, it's a uh, so that's why I wanted the hero to be a guy from Louisiana, the, one of the Cajun people. Yeah. Uh, so Squib is kind of the hero, and he is not a redneck. He's a very sharp individual. He's the lowest. Now, there is one status. horrible guy, and that's Hook, but he's from Florida. So yes. hopefully Louisiana. Hook is really awful, but yeah. beautifully portrayed, yeah. and the depth of that character and his backstory, it's yeah. just fantastic. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, talking of location, we've got some questions from listeners. Anna on Instagram. Hi, Owen. I'd like to know did you visit Louisiana and get to know the area and the bayou? Say Bayou or Bayou. I always get that wrong. I, say bayou. Bayou. I, I will reply to that in the manner of President Trump say, my visit was the perfect visit. It was the best visit. And it never happened. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you you YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I did YouTube, but I'm so sorry. I do feel like a bit of a cheat, but uh, my plan is to put the next book in Hawaii and I'm yeah. going for a year. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, it's just such a fascinating, I'm a big uh, fan of uh, the, the, the Robichaud books and the True Blood books. And just that I feel. love True Blood. This because yeah. res- True Blood is one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, that really resonated with me. And I started to read the books, and I met the author, and she thought we were just having a chat. <laughs> I was just kind of actually interviewing her. And, uh, <laughs> Stop taking notes. Uh, yeah. So um, she was very. It was unfortunate for her because she gave me a lift in her car going back to Book Expo America. Yeah. I don't know why, but she did. And uh, I just thought, so what's it like down there? And tell me, what, how big are the mosquitoes? And what's, <laughs> the, what's the main form of vegetation? So it was all very weird questions. But I, she's such a great writer um, that I was very happy to. And I just love that feeling of the swamp mm-hmm. that you, you see in movies like Swamp Thing and, uh, and you're reading those books. And the videos are unbelievable. It is like a different planet out mm. there. Like there's some cultures that are a little bit different. But then there's places that are just completely different. And it is very close uh, to, to being in South America when you're on that swamp, yeah. um, like in deep in the rainforest, because not a lot of people go up those rivers. No. There's guys living there uh, just off the grid, completely off the grid, dressed in camouflage, 
and they just come out of the of the mangrove trees and they're just there and it's the strangest thing and yeah. I love all that. It's like you sort of step through a Philip Pullman uh, hole into a different yeah. universe altogether and it's yeah. just it's fascinating. It and that's fascinating. what's great about this dragon. It, it's it's feasible, it's surprising, but it's yeah. feasible, it's strangely feasible. Yeah. And that setting helps. And I'm so glad you mentioned True Blood because I was obsessed with True Blood. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. And that... It was a great show and great books. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've never read the books, of course. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Um, all right, okay. Uh, Owen Colfer, the fantastic high fire is out now. Let's do some important questions with you. Okay. Important. I'm doing the fingers thing. Quotes. Important. Yeah. Uh, we're nearly at the end of our time with you today. Um, here come the important questions, and we ask all of our authors these questions. If you could have written any book in history, yeah. what book would it be? Well, I really, really uh, love the book The Princess Bride. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Um, a lot of people have seen the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a very famous book. But it's so funny, and it's so uh, serious. It's such. It's very dramatic, but it's also very funny. And it taught me that you can bring the funny to any genre. That and Hitchhiker's Guide. Yes, because Hitchhiker's Guide. Because you wrote a follow-up to Hitchhiker's yeah, Guide. Yeah, I wrote the. I I like to think of it as official fan fiction. You know, it yeah. wasn't. I would never say it was part of Douglas's canon, but they just. I think the idea was they wanted to bring the Hitchhiker's Guide to a new generation. And a way to do that would be if a popular writer did a book in the series and then the, the kids went off and bought the rest of the books, which is what happened. So, mm. But that was very nerve-wracking. Um, but Douglas Adams, uh, I was into my sci-fi and my fantasy and we had the, all the massive, big, thick tomes that we shared as teenagers. And then this little slim volume came. And I was like, this is very slim. Mm. You know, I, this is not going to get me through the weekend alone. This is not space opera. No, no. Uh, but then I read it and I thought, ah, oh, yes, I see what you've done there. And, yeah. uh, I mean, that just... is more nerve-wracking than taking on writing a Bond book for me. I mean, that, that yeah. would just be terrifying. Well, a lot of people have done Bond, and it's, people don't realize, people have been doing Bond since, you know, the 1960s and 70s. It took over for me in Fleming. And uh, But this, no one had ever done. It. And a lot of people, including myself, didn't want to see it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're asked, it's a little bit like Paul McCartney sticking his head in the door and saying, <laughs> do you want to be in the Beatles? He said, this could go really badly, <laughs> but I have to do it. Yeah. I can't pass on it. So that, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. It was fun, but it was, uh, it was very, very nerve-wracking. And I used to get, like, was like, the whole internet was after me for a while. Of course. And, uh, There's I, always a corner of the internet after all of us. You yeah. just have to... Yeah, I felt that some of the corners joined forces on that one. <laughs> and it was like more than usual. But uh, I remember going into my wife and... I was being very mopey, like an Irish writer, typical, you know, wear my beret. <laughs> and uh, I was going, ah, oh, sigh, sigh. And she said, what's wrong with you, eventually? And I said, well, there's this alien called Zephod who has two heads, and I'm thinking of removing one of the heads, and I do think that some of the readers will be a bit upset with that. And Jackie looked at me, and she just said, well, I have to pick up the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know what that means as a dad. You know what that means. It's like, get a real problem, yeah. please. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. that got me over that particular hump. So. Okay, because there's two interpretations of her saying that. My other interpretation was that I'm going to need security to protect me from the furious fans <laughs> oh, no, if you yeah. take off her head. I, Jackie, be well able for those fans. Okay, fine. Right, okay, good, good. God bless them. Um, if you could be any character in any book, who would you be and why? I think I would like to be... I would have said Hannibal Lecter, except for I would not eat the people no. uh, but I think my second choice there would be Captain Hook Captain James Hook I Brilliant. just love a good bad guy yeah. and I named Hook in this book kind of a little tribute to uh, a captain of, he's Constable Hook so he's one he's one rank down mm-hmm. but uh, Hook is just the greatest bad guy and I never bought that Peter Pan could kill him I just still don't buy it to this day <laughs> I think that the real ending of that book which they changed was that just Hook gutted Peter Pan 
and that was. But hang on, doesn't the crocodile get a hook at the he end? He pushes him into the crocodile's mouth. Yeah. So teamwork, teamwork, <laughs> teamwork. I think yeah, he guts him and throws him to the crocodile, and then he's he's free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he wins. And end of book. But mm. apparently, you can't do that. Not for kids. Um, not, for, not for the kids. But if next time you write that, maybe you should write and rewrite <laughs> yeah. that version. Um, if you could only read one book for the rest of your life, what? Book, would that be well I, I'm going to cheat a little bit in that there's it's actually three novellas in one and it's uh, a book by an English writer called Kirill Bonfiglioli and he wrote something called the Mordecai Charlie Mordecai Chronicles uh, which is the funniest volume if you like if you if you if you like humorous novels this guy is the great unsung hero and okay I, if you if you meet anyone who, who loves their comedy novels they will always point to Kirill Bonfiglioli and so if you can get that, I think it said he's a, he's like Lovejoy. This guy, he's a little bit, he's an antique stealer, but he's very criminal, right? You know, he and he's uh, recruited by the MI5, and uh, it's it's kind of like he's Doctor Moriarty with antiques. Oh, I'm uh, all over this. So, and you will just laugh yourself. You have to get out in your man cave, okay, or your your woman cave, yeah. Uh, and uh, you just you would just devour it. It's great. And I would read that over and over again, not just to enjoy, but to study how he sets up. His payoffs is, is just sublime. So I would, yeah, yeah I would recommend that. Carol okay. Bonfiglioli. Yeah, great name. Serious name. Owen Colfer, thank you so much for coming in. Brilliant to meet you. And it is a fantastic book. You've been listening to the Magic Book Club podcast. Until next time, happy reading. If you've enjoyed the episode, remember to rate and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.